it's funny that today the Israelites, uh, 99% or 95% of them have no interest in Jehovah God. Habakkuk had a problem. He lived in a period of national revival. There was a national revival and then followed by a deep spiritual decline. So, he, so this is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God and not with the people. It seems as if that is a book appropriate for such a time as this, the very time that we are going through. And perhaps that's why the Holy Spirit has led us to look into this book. And we've been called to learn it and we've been given the opportunity to understand. But what baffles Habakkuk is why is God not acting to uphold his own law? It's his law and it's his righteous judgments. And why is he not upholding his own law? The scriptures in Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2 reads, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. How precious a privilege it is for us to study God's word and let us, like Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet, pay close heed to what the Lord is teaching us from His word. We welcome you to the Agape Fellowship, where we study the Bible verse by verse. In this episode, we are starting to look at the book of Habakkuk. Even though Habakkuk is considered as a minor prophet, he has a lot to say to us, to teach us. It was Habakkuk who first penned down the words, The just shall live by faith. Let us now delve deeper into the study, and it is our prayer that you will be blessed. In order to set the, the tone for tonight and the study for tonight, I want us to go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Uh, pick up Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, and let's read through Deuteronomy chapter 11. It's a, it's a somewhat of a lengthy, it's uh, about 32 verses. If you want to break it up into two, um, we can read from that. Why am I making this? Why are we going to Deuteronomy? Uh, as you know, um, when the Israelites were given that piece of land, it was a conditional uh, land. It belonged to the Lord. And when they were brought into the promised land after 40 years of wandering and all of this stuff, before God brought them into the land, they said, look, I'm giving you this land. However, it's a conditional covenant here in the sense that I'm giving you this, but there's something you need to do in return for this. And it is a, and it was based on that condition that they could have that land. It's God's land. And it's very clear. He says, this is my land. I'm giving it to you. It's funny that today the Israelites, 99% uh, or 95% of them have no interest in Jehovah God, if you can believe it. They have no interest. Um, and they are there. And in fact, they argue the case for the Arabs to why they shouldn't be in the land or why the land has been divided and so on and so forth. And then you wonder, why the heck are you in that land in the first place? If it's not your land, then why are you there? It's a conditional, but it's condition, uh, conditional, uh, and the condition was laid out by God. 
Um, so let's look at that, and then I want to talk a few more things before we set the stage for Habakkuk. Can someone read Deuteronomy 11? Maybe. Okay, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children whom have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, and to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them, to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt, from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it, like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full Somebody else can take now. Okay. Len, you want to do it? Yes. <clears throat> Reading from the NIV, be careful so you will be careful, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and, and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hand, hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days 
and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving to you to follow, to love the Lord your, your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will be will your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God, and turn away from the way that I command you today by following other gods, which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you in, into the land, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Ger Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, as you know, these, these mountains are across the Jordan westward towards the setting sun near the great trees of, of Mora in the territory of those Canaanites living living in I've got something blocked living, living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you, Maria. Um, this is the portion, and there's a longer, lengthier version of this uh, in the earlier books. Um, where you uh, can actually list, it actually lists for you every curse and every blessing uh, for the possession of the land and to do the statutes that the Lord had commanded them. So they entered this land with a promise and a curse, and they agreed to this covenant standing on Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim, and they proclaimed it. Now, you can read all of that through the books, the first five books, and you will get to it. And uh, once they agreed to that covenant, it's only after that they entered that land. So the first thing that they did was commit and agree by covenant that these are the things that we will do. And these are things, these are the blessings that I will receive if I follow the Lord. These are the curses that I will receive. And I accept those curses if I disobey the Lord and walk away from him. 
Now, as you can imagine, over a period of time, they departed. They, they walked away from the Lord. After the time of David, there were the judges. You can go through that, and you will see ups and downs. Of some, Sometimes they were good, and other times they just ignored God and did all kinds of things. But it had come to a head uh, by the time Habakkuk had come. Uh, by the time Habakkuk had entered the scene, uh, the nation had become so corrupt that there was no righteousness in the land anymore. This was right about the time after King Josiah. Who is King Josiah? King Josiah is the grandson of Manasseh. You heard of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. So he is the, Josiah is the grandson of Manasseh. And uh, during his young years, Josiah's young years was completely corrupted, utterly corrupted. The nation had gone completely crazy, had forgotten God, and Manasseh had had taken on all the value systems of the northern kingdom. By this time, by the way, the nation had split into two. The northern kingdom they call Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. And um, Manasseh had taken on all those value systems from the northern kingdom and had completely corrupted the nation from head down. So when Josiah came into power, it was a time he was came in as a young lad. And at that time, it was very corrupt. And over a period of time, Josiah was starting to reform the nation. So if you can draw a graph, you would see the dip, uh, tremendous dip. And as Josiah comes into power and starts to take control of the territory and the land and the kingdom, uh, he starts to reform and there's a slow uptick. It is around that time that Habakkuk is also born. And by the time <clears throat> he comes to write the letter, Josiah had almost left the scene, and now there was another king called Jehoiakim uh, who was in charge. Um, so that is the period uh, when uh, Habakkuk is writing this book. So we don't know much about the prophet Habakkuk uh, from any other book. This is the only book that ever talks about it. And since he prophesied against the Babylonian army, it is our understanding. And that's why we come to an understanding that was during that period between 610 and 605 BC uh, that this book is being written. Habakkuk is known to have lived in the time of revival, as I'd mentioned to you, and had seen God's people and the nation uh, rise. There was a little bit of revival and then dipping into lethargy and sin. That is the period that Habakkuk is in. Habakkuk had a problem. He lived in a period of national revival. There was a national revival and then followed by a deep spiritual decline. So he saw both sides of it a slight revival under Josiah. And then after his departure, Josiah was killed in a battle. And then after that, uh, the nation was just going down and down. He lived in the Southern kingdom, as I'd mentioned to you. And one other point to make it is about the same time that Jeremiah was prophesying and telling them, turn, turn away, turn away. And warnings from, remember Jeremiah, he was warning, he was a contemporary to Jeremiah. We do not know how old Habakkuk is or was. Uh, unlike other prophets, Habakkuk's conversations, as you will see, is not with people. He has only one audience, and that's God. So this is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, and not with the people. 
And if you think about the outline, you will see that first Habakkuk uh, has a complaint against God. Uh, the complaint is against God and he brings it to God. And then God answers that. And then again, Habakkuk raises a second question and God responds to it. And then there are topics pertaining to that second response that we will go through and close out the chapter this way. It's a very small book. The name Habakkuk means embrace. That's the meaning. It's a Hebrew uh, word by the name embrace. Uh, name probably meant he who embraces or he who clings. Um, so you remember in the Jewish custom, uh, every name uh, has a meaning and uh, those meanings have significance. And in this case, like for example, Jacob, uh, heel catcher um, or usurper. Um, and so a Abram, a father, uh, um, just father, and then Abraham, father of nations, and so on. So every time a Jewish name was given, it meant something. And so this is his meaning, he who clings. That's the meaning. And it's an appropriate name for the prophet and the book because it is a firm faith grappling through some extremely tough questions. Would be very appropriate to this today and time. He who clings. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth, so I'm <laughs> going to skip that. But exactly, it seems as if that is a book appropriate for such a time as this, the very time that we are going through. And perhaps that's why the Holy Spirit has led us to look into this book. And we've been called to learn it, and we've been given the opportunity to understand what does this mean. Um, and it, it has serious significance to us, and exactly as Nelson mentioned. So, Brother, Habakkuk, yes, go ahead. Last week, uh, we were discussing the same thing about uh, Habakkuk, just yeah. to live by faith, yeah. because of this uh, coronavirus and all the things. And then when you were asking about next book, I wanted to mention this book, but I kept quiet. But somehow you selected this. <laughs> it's the Thanks. Holy Spirit's leading, brother. <laughs> yeah. What else can I say? I had many, many things. And then I said, I don't know why I'm going to go for this book. And I, don't ask me how, but that's, that's how it came. Uh, so, yes. Uh, so Habakkuk chapter one. Um, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Lord, how long shall I cry and yet you will not hear? Oh, let me. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arise. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous, therefore perverse judgments proceeds. It is very seldom uh, that we see people reference themselves as prophet. And this is one of the unique cases where he, he refers to himself and he references himself as a prophet. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you will not save. His complaint is actually against God's presumed inaction. I've been, basically, what is Habakkuk saying? I've been crying, I've been mourning out so long, but you're not listening to me. Even when I cry out about violence in the society, you're not rising to save the innocent. Habakkuk looked at the violence and injustice 
around the nation of Judah, and he's wondering, where is God? Why is God not setting things right? After all, he's a just God. He's a fair God. And you remember that blessing and the curse, all those things, he's a God of justice. Why isn't he not doing something about this? And until when should I cry out? That's another, another aspect. How long and until when should I cry out before you answer me? Jehovah, you're a covenant-keeping God. Why then am I seeing and crying out to you and you're not answering? His problem, Yahabukuk's problem is, you're a covenant-keeping God, but you're MIA. You're letting all of these things happen, and I'm crying, and I'm crying, and it seems as if I'm the only one that is bothered by this, and you don't seem to be bothered by this, God. What's going on? And look, there's violence and strife and all these things going on, and you, where are you? Verse 3, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise. Therefore the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous and therefore perverse judgments proceed. Now I don't know if you can count the number of things that he's recounting. But as I count them, there are seven things that is seen in the society that horrifies Habakkuk to the extent that he's questioning God. What are they? Let's look at that starting in verse 3. You would see iniquity, sin, plundering and violence. That is violence, murder and theft. Strife and contentions arise. People are fighting each other. There's hatred. There's animosity. There's bickering. In, in, it's just festering arguments with no peace. And we're four. The law is powerless. Now, if all of the other things were there and there was law, then it's one thing. But if law is powerless, it's toothless, it's ineffective, what can you do? Justice never goes forth. There's no justice in the land. The judges are there. However, justice has been perverted. You see that therefore perverse judgments proceed. Justice has been perverted. There is no more justice. You can pay your money through. Nothing works. Justice doesn't matter anymore. Wicked surround the righteous. In other words, evil has overcome good. And this is a big shock for Habakkuk. How is it possible that evil can overcome good? And perverse judgments proceed and justice is perverted. There's no justice and morality in the court of law. The sight of immorality has placed such a heavy burden on Habakkuk's heart. Now here's the thing. He's acknowledging now. We got to understand the fact that he's crying out to God means what? That Habakkuk is acknowledging God, number one. He's acknowledging that God is still on the throne and that he can do something about it. But what baffles Habakkuk is why is God not acting to uphold his own law? It's his law. And it's his righteous judgments. And why is he not upholding his own law? Habakkuk here faces the dilemma that confronts, has confronted people through the ages. The dilemma of seemingly unanswered prayers for the healing of society. And we've prayed, I'm sure prior generations have prayed, 
and this is the same dilemma um, that uh, Habakkuk was facing. Habakkuk is one with those who pray for peace. He wants peace in the world and peace in the land. He's also one with every soul who is praying for healing, but there is none of that in the sickbed, but is confronted by death. He wants peace and harmony at home. He wants peace and all of these things, but cannot be found. The central theme of this, what his ask is what? Can anybody say what his central theme is? Justice. He wants fairness. He, he knows that the laws of God are good, but there is no, it's toothless. And so he's asking God uh, on whom the Israelites depended on to say, God, what's going on? We were able to cover four verses in this episode and how pertinent it is to our lives today. We were able to see that Habakkuk, while acknowledging the sovereignty of Jehovah God, is also deeply burdened by seeing the widespread injustice in the kingdom of Judah and it compels him to ask the Lord the question, why? Have we not also asked God the same thing when we see injustice happening around us? Isn't it incredible to see that the Bible is not some outdated book? but is timeless and still continues to speak to us and guide us. We hope you were blessed. Do join us next time as we pick up from verse 5 and see how God responds to Habakkuk.